Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Welcome to Chattanooga, simple one. Wow, it looks like the future here. Of course it does. To you. Would you like something warm to drink? Uh, sure, yeah, thanks. Earl Grey, hot. What? That's incredible! How did you do that? We use what you would call the internet. That's not how the internet works. You can't just say, make me a duck and... (laughs) Please be careful around the replicator, my primitive friend. Sorry, what's that little kid doing over there? Child, tell our visitor from the Copper Age what you are doing. I'm fixing part of the healthcare system of Ecuador. How is that even possible? I'm in remedial classes. They don't let me do the hard stuff. Also, this is recess. Okay, this is mind-boggling. I need to sit down for a second. I'm getting a mild headache here. Alan, come over and scan her. There are indications of a mild untreated sinus infection. I would estimate she has had it for three months. There is inflammation in her left ear. It's really great. You have a doctor here. Oh, no. I work at the car wash. Okay, look, this is crazy. Just because you built up your bandwidth with gigabit service, that can't possibly result in an advanced civilization. (laughs) What's so funny? You would never understand. I think it's time for you to go back to your simple home. No, no, no. Don't send me back to Connecticut in 2014 where the YouTube videos still buffer. Please let me stay in Chattanooga. It's so cool here. Bye bye. Uh, I hate it back here. I'm going to demand that Comcast build something like that for us here in Connecticut. I'm going to start working on a proposal right now. Whoa, Ernest Goes to Jail is on. I love that movie. I'm just going to watch that first and then write up the, you know, what the whatever it is called. Meanwhile, listen to the show about... <laughs> This movie is hilarious. Anyway, here's um, what's his name talking about whatever. (laughs) She really does enjoy that Ernest movie, doesn't she? All right. So apparently, we're not going to make a proposal to get uh, gigabit service here in Connecticut because she's too busy to do that. Uh, But we are going to talk about that today. And of course, even as I say this, I'm aware of the fact that some of you are going, "What?" Uh, probably not many of you. Many of you are way ahead of me on this. I'm the one who really had to do a lot of self-education just to get ready for this show. But what we are going to talk about is the question of whether or not the Internet framework that we have here in this country, the, the infrastructure we have here in this country, is adequate for the demands of 2014 or 2024 or 2034. And if not, how it's going to get there. We're going to talk a little bit about how it stacks up, to against other countries. We're going to talk about what's been done also locally. In some, some places have kind of addressed this need, which you 
which has barely even been sketched out for you. So let me tell you who's here. Uh, joining us uh, by the miracle of, uh, of, of actually probably some one of the technologies we'll be talking about today uh, in a studio in New York, Blair Levin, who's the exec- executive director of the GIGU Project, which is a consortium of research universities seeking to accelerate the deployment of next-generation broadband networks in the United States. He's a former FCC chief of staff, and he attended college with me where we were friends, and we share a terrible secret, which we will not bring out today because we intend to use it for a certain kind of leverage down the line. Um, so uh, also here in the studio, Ellen Katz is the Consumer Council for the Connecticut Office of Consumer. No, you're the Consumer Council for Connecticut, basically, is what you are. Uh, I should also say she's a former student of mine. Everybody here except Lon has like a deep lo- abiding connection uh, to me in some way uh, and probably has dirt they can use on me. Lon Seidman is here. He's a technology writer for CT Junkies, the guy uh, that we turn to a lot for these kinds of conversations. But I guess, Blair, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to start with you and just uh, I guess you, the first thing to do is kind of do gig, gigabit 101 for people, um, for people who who are new to this subject, who, who need to understand what the need is that we're talking about. Maybe maybe just explain what that is. Sure. Um, uh, most people in Connecticut probably are receiving an average of about what's called 10 megabits. Now, that's that's a mil- 10 million bits per second. Uh, and that's a measurement of speed. You know, you, you and I go back a long way, and we started with the dial-up era, which was, you know, maybe one one-hundredth of that. What a gigabit is is 100 times faster than what you're getting today. And that's what Google Fiber is building out in Kansas City and in Austin and in Provo. Uh, it's what the cities of Seoul, uh, Korea have, and Stockholm. Um, and it is effectively going to be the standard of the next decade. Um but we're not there yet, though we were there earlier on in the show. Uh, for the person, uh, for, well, Lon, for the person who's sitting there listening and thinking, well, I kind of like things pretty much. Things are pretty much okay the way they are. I can watch my Netflix movies. The internet works fine at work. I get my email. Um, how would you describe whatever need you think there is? And your idea of the need may not uh, dovetail exactly with Blair Levins. Yeah, I, I think it depends on on what you're, if, of course, what you're doing with the internet. I mean, if you're hosting a, like a YouTube show from your basement, like I do sometimes, you know, having more upstream bandwidth to uh, get that HD footage out there is pretty critical. I mean, the the bottom line is that the data packets themselves travel at relatively the same amount of speeds. It's how much data you're transmitting. And I think over time, as you know, we're talking about now 4K video, you know, essentially four times. HD video, uh, things that require a huge amount of data being pushed through. And when you push that play button, you want to see that uh, video start up. That's when the need for greater speed needs to happen. I mean, here in uh, Connecticut, Comcast about a week ago or two weeks ago doubled my speed at home from 50 megabits to 100 megabits. And, you know, most people don't even really notice that right now because, you know, their their speeds have been adequate perhaps for what they're doing. But uh, over time, as those data needs increase, we're going to see a need for faster speeds. Let's talk about those increasing data needs for just a second. Um, Blair, one of your fellow advocates for this kind of increase uh, compared it to 100 years ago or so, our grandmothers talked about the light bill, because that's basically what electricity was, right? It ran the lights. There wasn't, in the early days of electricity anyway, there weren't that many other things that electricity could run. And and, and one of the analogies that gets made is, well, we're so, we've sort of done that with the internet, right? We've talked about this wire that comes into our house, and, and it, it now powers uh, a wireless device to which we uh, connect some laptops and some PCs and, and, and some phones, maybe. And, and that's our understanding of what bandwidth is needed for. But that 
the argument goes, there's, as Lon is suggesting, but maybe even in a bigger way than Lon is implying, there's a wave coming, and that wave is going to need a lot more bandwidth, that the need for information uh, is going to spread through your office and your house, kind of the way electricity's multiple uses increase. Is that a fair analogy? Yes, absolutely. And and that goes to what was often referred to as the Internet of Things or the Internet of Everything. So, you know, this refers to the fact that in the future, the refrigerator is connected to the Internet. Um, all appliances are connected to the Internet. You'll be able to remotely control the heating and cooling in your house um, through the Internet. Um, you know, your car will be connected to the Internet. So there are many things we can't conceive of now. It's actually interesting. When you look at history, um, uh, when I was doing the National Broadband Plan back in 2009, uh, one of the things that was striking about the history of electricity was it actually took 40 years for 50 percent of American factories to um, adopt electricity. You might have thought they would have done it right away. But it really required a change in thinking about how you architect uh, and how you utilize power um, and it really wasn't until Henry Ford uh, decided that he wanted to build cars in a big factory and needed a huge distributed power that electricity became standard. And in the same way, we are not thinking about how we solve problems through bandwidth uh, because we have limited bandwidth today. Um, Peter Drucker, the great uh, business consultant, once said the most difficult times, most difficult thing in times of turmoil is not the turmoil. It is to respond with yesterday's logic. And as we think about how we deliver health care, education, public services like public safety, um, we are still thinking in an analog paper-driven way, not in a broadband way. But once we, once we change that mind frame, uh, lots of things will open up. Um, Ellen Katz, you brought uh, Blair in a couple of weeks ago uh, for a meeting. What, what's, what's your goal what's, and what's your role in all this? Well, my office is the public's advocate. We're an independent office, an independent governmental office, and we advocate on behalf of consumers on, among other things, telecommunications. And I think as a public's advocate, um, it's my job to both, our motto is advocate, educate, serve. And so I think we need to be educating people on why this is important and advocating for facilitating greater bandwidth, band speeds, gigabits in the in the state. And actually, we've been working with Blair for over a year now um, through a project called Gig.U, trying to figure out ways and um, develop what is the best model to for, we focus on the municipal level, for municipalities to develop gigabit um, networks at that level, similar to what they've seen in Chattanooga. That's what we want to see here in Connecticut. So, um, Lon, just to swing back for, to you for a second, um, I want to go back to the original question that I asked you. I mean, we're, what, when you listen to the size, the carrying capacity that Blair's talking about, can, can you envision uh, an immediate future in which that gets used? I mean, does this strike you as worth the kind of commitment that we're talking about? I, I think it, at some point it will. I mean, if you look at Internet consumption overall, what people are doing with the Internet nationwide in this, in this country, in this, this hemisphere— um, about 50% of it is YouTube and Netflix. Mm-hmm. That it's, it's entertainment. Um, so, you know, the question from the public goods perspective is how much of that entertainment is, is, is material that's actually helping to enrich the public good versus just entertaining them. And I think, you know, we want to provide as many opportunities for people to be able to broadcast themselves and their speech 
uh, in a way that is uh, not discriminated against into the network. And and hopefully, as we can, we could probably have a whole other show about net neutrality. Well, no, uh, we're we're going to talk about net neutrality okay. because there's just no way that you can unyoke these two things. I think. Right. I mean, so as as we move along here in some of the other segments, we will absolutely talk about that. And my chief concern is moving forward. Is I think the speeds will come as customer demand demands it. Uh, my concern is that those controlling the pipes are going to you know have the ability to restrict things in such a way that we're not seeing an even playing field on this network that has uh, you know so much uh, so much potential moving forward and to Blair's point you know a lot of the infrastructure we have in Connecticut is piggybacked on old wiring because it's so hard to get the whole state wired up. We're very rural in many, many cases. Where I live, we have two-acre subdivisions. The number of customers per mile is very limited. So we're deli- delivering very high speeds over essentially the same wires to the home that uh, we were delivering cable services to 30 years ago, and, and telephone too. Even uh, the more advanced uh, systems that at and offering, it's still copper at the uh, at the last mile there. So um, there's there's a lot of work to do, and it's a pretty big undertaking to get those speeds to the homes. As we go along here, uh, I want to uh, open this up to, to callers. So 860-275-7266. Uh, use your primitive telephoning device, 860-275-7266. You may call us. You may also tweet us at WNPR Colin. Uh, you can email us. You can do all kinds of things. That's Colin, C-O-L-I-N, at WNPR.org. So Blair, to his point, and, and we're going to you know, the producers are just suggesting that in just a second we backtrack to one of these uh, examples, whether it's Chattanooga or some some other place. And, and and each time this happens, it seems to unfold a slightly different way in terms of who the players are and what the adjustments are. But um, before we do that, Blair, there's a chicken and egg question here, right? There's uh, the, the question is, um, do we need to build more capacity so that people, uh, when they want to start doing something a little bit more elaborate, sophisticated, and essential than YouTube? and Netflix can do it? Or is it the case that the minute you do build this capacity, whether you do it in Chattanooga or Kansas City or North Carolina or, or, or Santa Monica, the minute you do it, suddenly all kinds of things become possible and people just start doing that right away? Um, it, what we've seen in those communities that have it, and it's a very limited number, is it's, it's not that they're suddenly a brand new use. But it's kind of like going from driving a, you know, 20-year-old broken-down Corolla to driving a brand-new BMW. Yes, you cannot fly. Yes, you're subject to the speed limit of the law and all that. The performance is just so much nicer. It's so much more fun to do. And and everything you do today works better. Uh, but we have not developed uses for the gig. So in that sense, you're right about the chicken and egg. But if I could just add two other quick things about it. First of all, if we start if we had a plan today it would still be several years before people would actually be experiencing a gig networks take a long time to upgrade and and secondly you don't upgrade incrementally you don't it's not the kind of case where oh we're going to add another 5 megs here and there Alon was talking about the old networks we're using we know we're going to have to replace those old copper networks with fiber and part of the challenge is when do you do it do you wait for the demand to already be there and then you've got a five-year wait where you fall behind uh, the rest of the world in doing things like genetic sequencing or, or things that are very data-intensive? Or do you start the process now and hopefully hit it at the right time? Let me put it to you this way. If we wait until we know we have to do it, we will fall behind the rest of the world in terms of economic growth and innovation. Well, aren't we already far behind? Aren't we like 26th in the world or something already? Aren't we far behind the world already, Blair? I wouldn't say we're far behind the world. I mean, look, uh, 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 there are so many different metrics you could use in terms of adoption, speed, price, use. Um, I find a lot of that debate, though, very distracting. 
because whatever, wherever we are today, and I would argue that in the most critical things we lead, that is to say we have created the businesses that ride on top of the Internet. That's the most important thing. Um, uh, but wherever we are really reflects decisions that were made 10, 20, even 30 years ago. And so the question for our country today is what are the things we should be doing today that will lead to leadership um, 10, 20 years from now? And, you know, in the National Broadband Plan, which is in some ways the same as 135 other national broadband plans uh, around the world, it all comes down to four things. You drive fiber deeper, you use spectrum, wireless spectrum more efficiently, you get everybody on, and the government needs to use the platform to better deliver goods and services. What we're talking about today is the challenge of driving fiber deeper. Um, we are behind a number of countries on that. But there is some hopeful signs that uh, we're not falling too far behind. And in fact, we may be um, in the next couple of years uh, starting to sprint ahead. I want to uh, just uh, making a mental note. I want to circle back, particularly with Lon, uh, to that whole thing that you were saying about one of the things we're really good at in this country is innovating on top of the Internet. And a lot of these other uh, cultures that have uh, that are building up vastly superior bandwidths and carrying capacities aren't for whatever reason. I'm not saying that those two things necessarily go hand in hand, but there is an interesting relationship. But I, I just I feel like uh, I'm getting ahead of the story if I do that. I want to come back and this say, say, well, there there are a whole bunch of different models to do what we're talking about. Um, and and we, by the way, we've got an interesting call from Victor. Victor, hang on the line. Your question is right on point. We're absolutely going to get to you. But there's a different models for doing this. And so, Ellen, I'm going to start with you. One model is, and it's, I mean, Chattanooga, for better or worse, is the name everybody flings around, is basically the government. In this case, a municipal government builds a gig network and becomes, as Chattanooga is now called, Gig City. So explain that. Explain how that works. Okay, how that works is that Chattanooga, Chattanooga strung their own fiber and created their own media company. So they deliver not just uh, a gig. You know, in some models, you can just buy the gig. They're also deli- they have a public media company where they actually deliver content. You get your instead of uh, Comcast, you would get your TV um, and your internet and your whole package from um, Chattanooga's municipal company. And so you've got that and. What we know from watching Chattanooga, because we've had a little bit of time here uh, to watch Chattanooga, that there are there are ramifications that happen pretty fast. I mean, just reading about the Chattanooga Police Department, where I mean, they can they can do all this stuff that's a impressive and b mildly scary. But I mean, you know, from their police cars, they can I don't know they can make the streetlights flash to indicate an emergency. They can you know turn up the lights in one part of the park where the burglars are. Right? I mean, yeah. I'll, I, there now is capacity in Chattanooga that doesn't tip, and not just for police either. I'm just p- picking them because they're they're going, but there's capacity and and not just capacity but actual function that doesn't exist in other places that don't have this, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, you can uh, have sort of this crowdsourcing um, responsive network that can see, oh, the traffic is piling up on Main Street. Let's start having the lights turn yellow a little bit longer and be kind of responsive because you've got a whole interconnected world within your town that's linked into um, the gov- um, linked into the police department and the traffic department and the fire department and the town hall and all those different things. So, yeah, it, it creates a whole different kind of model. So, so that's one model, and we can come back to that. Um, and, and certainly, you know, as a West Hartford resident uh, like Ellen, I would love to get Slivka vision, uh, <laughs> which uh, I think it would be excellent. <laughs> I just know it would be excellent because it would be Slivka vision. What could be better? Um, so, but Blair, 
um, you have some questions about this model, and you have some. Uh, you think it's not. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you think it's not necessarily the way this massive change is going to happen. Well, I think there are a bunch of different models. Chattanooga, it was actually it was a municipally owned utility company, so they already had access to poles and they knew how to do networking. So it was, it was kind of the electric company. I, I think that's a great model for some folks. Um, what Google is doing in Kansas City is another model. What AT&T is proposing to do in North Carolina is another model. You now have uh, a couple of years ago when we started Gig.U, um, the incumbent companies were all saying, oh, nobody needs it, and and you all just calm down, and whenever, you're, whenever we think you're ready for it, we'll build it for you. And now they're starting to be uh, a little more aggressive. I think there are, you know, there are certain cycles where you have to have a lot of experimentation, let a thousand flowers bloom. Uh, that's, that's the moment that we're in. I I think I'm skeptical. Uh, there was a New York Times uh, op-ed the other day that suggested that in response to p- potential changes in the net neutrality regimes that cities should build their own um, broadband networks and effectively compete with existing cable and telcos. Um, I've worked with a lot of cities and talked about this issue. I think there are lots of very positive things cities can do to improve the economics of investment in networks, but I'm skeptical that many mayors want to take on that challenge. If some do, that's great, but um, there aren't many who I think want to do that. Right. And uh, that article was by Susan Crawford. And since it ran, she's actually been placed in a Comcast detention center. So uh, <laughs> and there's a real effort being made to get her out. I think there's some kind of legal fund that you can contribute to. But um, let's, uh, let's speaking of that, let's grab a quick call from Victor in Hartford. Hi, Victor. Hi. Yes. How are you doing? Just um, I just want yeah, I like uh, what I'm hearing right now in regards to uh, how these telephone companies have impeded the growth uh, for quite some time now, at least I'm aware of uh, 15 years, I think in the mid-90s, there was a Chase company who tried to start up a, a fiber optic uh, last mile uh, ground wire work, and they were actually blocked basically by the pole owners at the time. I think, uh, I forgot what company owns the West Hartford side, but they, they pretty much you know stopped that growth from happening a long time ago, and I, I don't know where their intentions lie nowadays. I mean... Well, this is this this is you know one of the several sixty four million dollar questions. So, Lon, just as somebody who obviously is somebody who's using the service you know at a fairly elevated level and and a, at a fairly sophisticated level, you know this new term that's come up is the incumbents, mm-hmm. uh, and the incumbents are the people <laughs> who actually have the cable uh, that you, you were talking about before. They are the people who are the ISPs right now. There are your existing ISP. Your internet service provider is an incumbent, and so one of the questions is: I don't know, as as just sort of a ground level user, who do you want to see getting into this game? Do you want your incumbent to do it? Do you want the government to do it? You want somebody brand new to do it? Aliens? Uh, Aliens would be my pick because right. um, then it would just be telepathy, and it would be great. Um, it but could be like Independence Day, though. Exactly. What if they're trying to harvest our, our bodies. <laughs> That's right. Um, but no, I, I think what I want is choices, and I think what consumers need are choices. And you know, we, we were talking before the show about there's there's a there's a, a, a la- there's really regional monopolies of different cable companies who have the infrastructure to make it work. And and where I live, I have uh, AT and T, which you know can't get all their services to me, and I have Comcast. So my choice is Comcast for high speed. Um, I'm fairly happy with the service. However, I'm not happy with some of the things that they're doing at the corporate level. And I would like to be able to, as a consumer, be able to exercise my my choices in that way. And we're in an era in which we can. 
Um, you know, it's hard though, as as we talked about. You know, this is not you know just putting an antenna up somewhere and getting the stuff beamed to you. This is running cable on a pole that requires a lot of expertise and a lot of capital investment that very few companies in the country can afford to do. Uh, Google might have a fiscal interest in doing so because of some of these things coming down the pike, but um, there's really very few opportunities to do that. So I, I think what we're going to see, just like electricity, where certain parts of the country have certain types of generation, we're going to see certain types of internet provided in some parts of the country that might be different than the other, but as long as they meet the network protocol standards, everything's going to talk to each other, and I think that's where we'll end up. Okay, that's a really great point. I want to grab a break here. I want to come back and pursue that a little bit, too. We have a lot of things that we want to talk about. We're happy to hear from you, too. 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. Or you can tweet us at WNPR Colin. Pardon me, boy. Is that the Chattanooga Juju? Yes, yes. Track 29. Boy, you can give me a chance. All right. What we're talking about today is basically digital capacity. When we're talking about uh, your soon-to-be inadequate uh, digital capacity uh, in terms of the, um, the information that you can get in and out of your system, whether you're at work, whether you're at school, whether you're in the hospital, whether you're at home, uh, this is all going to change radically. It already is. So we're talking to people who want to innovate and want to build more. Uh, with us is uh, Blair Levin, Executive Director of the GIGU Project, a consortium of research university communities seeking to accelerate that deployment of those next-generation broadband networks. Ellen Katz is Consumer Counsel uh, of the State of Connecticut. Lon Seidman is the technology writer for ctjunkie.com. And um, we want to talk to you, too, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. So, Blair Levin, um, you know, we sort of walked a little bit through the uh, the Chattanooga experience. Um, walk us through a, a different model. I, I know that when you came here on April 11th and spoke um, at Ellen's conference, you talked about things happening in North Carolina. I don't know whether that's the one you want to cite right now, but, but walk us through somebody else who went through this kind of so, some other place that went through that kind of change. Yes. So what uh, and this this was a gig got you uh, project where uh, four universities in North Carolina and the six communities that surround them um, basically put out a request for proposals. And they said to all potential providers, look, we'd like to have networks faster than we have today. We'd like to have basically world leading, future proof, scalable networks. Here are all the things that we can do to help improve the economics of investing in such networks. What can you do for us? They received eight responses, including from AT&T, from Google, from Time Warner, uh, and some other folks. And um, they are. Um, and it was announced a few weeks ago that they had actually reached an agreement with AT&T. And so that's one of the places where AT&T is likely to invest a lot more money. Uh, to build out these networks, but also Google is thinking about uh, going there, and none of these deals are exclusive. So that was a way of basically signaling both a willingness of both the the desire of the community for such networks, but also the willingness of the local governments in those communities to take certain actions to help make it so. So when a community does that, obviously what we're talking about also 
is mobilizing a certain kind of energy that's the kind of thing that Thomas Friedman likes to write about. In fact, Thomas Friedman likes to write about Blair Levin. Um, <laughs> so so what we're talking about right now, obviously— and, and Vladimir Putin, which is really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're talking about a, a kind of community that Friedman thinks, and, and many people think, is— is what you want to be if you want to be economically competitive, if you want to be culturally, culturally and edu- educationally competitive, right, Blair? I mean, this right. this is the idea that you have human capital that's attracted to the bandwidth capital. Uh, absolutely. And the New York Times had a story about this the other day, uh, not written by Don, but by a reporter who was talking about uh, in the few cities in the United States that have this uh, faster, better, cheaper bandwidth, young entrepreneurs are moving there. Because, you know, this is the information age economy. Value is being created by the ability to exchange information in ways that we never thought possible. So whether you are kind of in arts and designs and you have these big, you know, video packages or you're in science where you have huge data packages, uh, you need to be where there's fast, cheap uh, bandwidth. In the same way that 100 years ago, if you were doing manufacturing, you needed cheap uh, electricity. So, um, Ellen, I'm going to sort of throw it back to you. So, obviously, one of the arguments that we're we're hearing here is this is how anybody stays competitive. This is how any place stays competitive. So, I mean, how successful are are you so far in in conveying that message to Connecticut? How likely is it that either through uh, a municipal or sort of government-backed model or a more complex model that involves the kind of RFPs that Blair is talking about, you know, bringing in one of the big players uh, to do it. How likely is that to happen in Connecticut anytime soon? I think it's going to happen very soon. I mean, part of what our conference was about was getting together um, some of the state's top uh, business and um, governmental leaders, municipalities, and the providers. And we had a tremendous panel of providers, and we had a lot of municipalities there. And to a certain extent, it was matchmaking. It was, oh, I really want to do this. And there are some towns that are really pushing hard. They really want to figure out how to do it, whether it's through an RFP, um, through a process of where they, they make a deal with a particular provider who's interested in coming in and um, wiring a section. I mean, this isn't going to happen. I, I think it's highly unlikely that it's going to happen where they're going to come in and we're talking about West Hartford. You're just going to wire all of West Hartford at once because for the reason that you mentioned that folks aren't necessarily engaging in um, activities that require a gig in their home. But clearly, we have a lot of business and innovation ideas here in Connecticut where we're betting a lot of our economic future. They're going to require big bandwidth. I mean, we talk about Jackson Labs. I knew Jackson Labs. Jackson Labs was like, I knew that was the next thing coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, Jackson Labs, right? Um, Partner out there in Farmington with UConn. Um, They are all about, you know, the genome and individualized medicine, and they move huge, huge amounts of bandwidth. Um, Their main facility is in Bar Harbor, Maine, and originally when they came out and they needed to move data between um, Farmington and uh, Bar Harbor, it would take them like two weeks. I mean, they ended up mailing the disks as it took so long. So they actually tapped into the Nutmeg Network. I mean, Connecticut has a great resource, which is its own gigabit network that has it was built with um, federal money. It has nodes in every single town in, in the state, 169 towns. And so... Um, through a contract, they first they went to the public private providers and said, "All right, we need more bandwidth up to Bar Harbor, and it cost a fortune." And then they came to the state and said, "Well, how can we tap into your network, and can you help us?" Um, and it was much more reasonably cost. And now they can do bursts of up to ten gigs um, as they need it to send their data from Farmington up to Jackson Labs. So, 
we went out and actually talked to some of the professors and some of the folks who works at Jackson Labs in UConn, and we said, what would you do if you had a gig in your home? What would you do if we could get it in this area? You know, we, have, we know we have it there. Um, and they were practically jumping over the table. They were just so excited about the possibilities of what it would mean for them to have it in their home. Um, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, and you go, and you could jump on your home computer, and you could start working with your data. Um, you know, so much of, the, of innovation now is tinkering on the web. Um, Steve Jobs tinkered in his garage. These geniuses tinker on the web, and that's how things get created, and that's how the um, innovation moves forward now. I want to grab a call here uh, from Suzanne in New Milford. Hi, Suzanne. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a complete amateur compared to the woman who was just speaking, but, and I almost didn't to listen to the show because I said, oh, well, this is something that is not of immediate interest to me, and you know, I don't already have strong opinions about. But then as I started to listen, to, I, I realized, oh, yes, I have very strong opinions about this. This is something that if individuals um, want to have any choice um, or say about this, we really have to get interested now or at least let uh, the higher-ups know that we want to have that choice available um, in the future, however it's decided, um, you know, to move forward. Um, because I feel like... Uh, by the time individuals realize that they might want to have some choice or might, it might benefit from it, money, so much money has been spent by these companies that they won't go backwards. You know, So they're out there now like planting their seeds all over the place or their poles or strengthening their, their um, licensing agreements and so forth, trying to, as much as they're moving forward, I think they're also trying to protect territory and, and prevent other people from, um, you know, being able to, uh, you know, access the same information or whatever. And, and I just think that if we don't, uh, that we won't have choice because it will be too expensive and, um, and people won't know what to ask for. So it's very important that you, um, you know, let people know, you know, what they, what they have to do in order to, to keep the airways and the, the, the electronic airways open for everyone. Um, and because, it, you know, by the time we understand this better as amateurs, it'll be too late. All right. <laughs> you're, to, you're, you know, Suzanne, you're right on point. You, yeah, you're right exactly where we want to go with this conversation. I'm a little horrified that you think that you can turn off the show uh, if you think it has no relevance to you. I think if you check the paperwork that Public Radio sent you, that is actually not possible. You are <laughs> actually not allowed to turn off the show, even if you think it has no well, relevance it does, to you. Well, I suppose it's like everything else. It does. Things don't really go away today. Yeah. They just go to some cloud, and, and then, you know, uh, then you... You can draw it back as, uh, as, as you know, with some sort of magnetism. Um, I, I don't know. It's all, it's all a magical. I guess I'm giving away my age, but it's, it's magical to me. Um, but I do think that it's shocking to hear the power uh, that the media companies, um, you know, and I know they're, they're only cousins to the utility companies, but how they're related um, and the understanding of these corporate, uh, um, you know, n- need to bring money back to their investors rather than need to serve. All right, well, um, you know what, you're, you're, Susan, you're, Susan, you're right on point, and, and okay. we're gonna, we, want, we want to actually sort of get to that a little bit, and, uh, and I'll overlook what you said before this time, but next time there will be a small fine. Um, all right, so um, Blair Levin, let's sort of start with you. Um, uh, you know, the North Carolina thing, you got RFPs from, from all these companies. 
But, I mean, another thing we know, and it's, it was in uh, Susan Crawford's uh, article in the New York Times that you cited a, a little while ago, is that in some cases the incumbents, the, the big players, have even gone into state legislatures and argued for and successfully argued for legislation that inhibits the ability of municipalities to pull a Chattanooga if that's what they want to do, right? That's right. Uh, there are about 20 states that have laws that either ban or restrict uh, municipally um, owned networks or restrict the municipalities helping networks. Um, I, I would note a couple things. Uh, first of all, the chairman of the FCC yesterday in Los Angeles was giving a speech to the cable convention and said that he intended to bring actions to essentially preempt such lawsuits, uh, such uh, such um, legislation. So we'll have to see where that goes. That is, by the way, one of the recommendations of the National Broadband Plan that the federal government preempt state laws because we want to have as many options on the table for people. And from my experience, cities are only going to do this if they're extremely unhappy. It takes a very high level of unhappiness uh, with the incumbents to take that action. Um, but that's certainly a possibility. But at the end of the day, uh, these are very capital-intensive industries. There's going to be a limited amount of folks who invest in them, whether it's the government or others. And I think we have to figure out a way of uh, bringing a lot of new investment. And part of the Part of really what I think the caller was talking about is um, that, yes, there are these big companies. They can choose to invest to, or in a way that simply harvests past investment. A lot of these networks, as Lon said earlier, were built decades ago, or they can invest to build the best networks in the future. And we have a problem that we are generally relying on private investment to create something that has a lot of public goods associated with it so that – um, even though there's a return required by the investor, the real, the biggest return from a society's point of view is the ability of cops to do the kind of thing you were talking about earlier in Chattanooga, the way we can transform education and health care, uh, and the way we can grow our economy by being the leader in the information age economy. So um, let's talk a little bit more about this. So, um, Lon, a, a few minutes ago you were saying that um – that you're pretty happy with your Comcast service right now, but you're not too crazy about some of their corporate policies. Um, uh, it's time really to sort of say the words net neutrality. This is a, this is linked to this argument. Um, I'll let you explain. I, I think a lot of people still struggle with what, what this whole question is, what the term even means. Uh, I'm sure you can do a much more lucid job than I of explaining it. Well, basically what it entails right now. Oh, this, and before you yep. do that, let me just apologize. I keep saying you're from CT Junkie, and those that's actually that's the people I buy my cortisone from. You're from <laughs> CT News Junkie. That's right. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Get your junkies right. Um, so, it's, in a nutshell, it, it would it would it functions like this. Right now, if I have a video that I want to present to the world, um, I can put it up to YouTube, and it gets delivered to everybody the same way. So, provided your you know your local network isn't all that saturated, everyone is, is essentially required to teach to treat all data equally. Um, however, we mentioned earlier that YouTube and Netflix tend to be about half the consumption of the internet, which all these local providers have to deliver. And uh, what they want to do is say, look, if if you're going to be pushing all of this data, YouTube or Netflix, onto our network, um, and you want this delivered in the best way possible, you need to pay us uh, in order to get preferential treatment of your data as it moves across the wire. And you know that on the surface sounds like, well, okay, these people are using a lot of bandwidth, and it's costing these these providers a lot of money to deliver that bandwidth, and you know maybe they should have to pay a little bit more. The problem is there's a lot of collateral damage in that, in that these are networks that are that are transmitting you know people's speech, 
in my in my opinion, of transmitting people's speech. Anybody can go up on YouTube, and you know whether there's an audience for that or not is 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 up to that person to be able to determine. But when you start picking winners and losers based on who can afford to transit those networks more efficiently, uh, those abil- the ability of people to watch that content diminishes. Uh, the ability of people to discover that content diminishes because we've seen uh, through some of our work on on these local websites that you know if your page loads too slow, they don't look at you. Um, so, and there's certain search uh, uh, penalties that come with that as well in Google searches and whatnot. So, uh, there's tremendous concern that you know this will become a pay-to-play kind of thing, and this this network, which was designed to be open and free, is suddenly going to become a toll road where there's two classes of traffic. Now, Ellen, one argument about gigabit uh, is if you get to that level, the net neutrality question starts to go away a little bit because the highway is so big, right? It's the highway is so big. There's plenty of room. There's room for Netflix. There's room for everything. Yeah, but that's assuming we freeze the world as it is today. And there's one thing we know is that the technology is innovating faster than we can even keep up with it. And the thing it needs to, it eats up more and more bandwidth. And yeah, I mean, I agree with Lon. I think this is a real issue because now we have the creation of these like ultra ultra big media companies we have comcast trying to buy up time warner and to me it's analogous to um there's a lot of people who are upset that rupert murdoch owns so many newspapers well to me it's like not only is he buying the newspapers he's buying the roads um that the trucks drive on to deliver the newspapers and this he's letting his trucks drive faster so whose news are you going to get more who are you going to better access to so um i think there's a real concern about free speech and free media when we start divvying up the internet based on speed, based on who has a greater ability to pay, um, they get an advantage in what they deliver to you. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And they could decide, too, that, okay, we're going to provide a 1,000 you know, megabits per second, a gigabit to this customer's home, but you know what? If you're not paying that fee... Uh, you know, we're only going to let you uh, transit over the 200 megabit portion of that. And, you know, we'll leave the rest for the higher paying folks. If they could really determine down to that household level. Um, and, I, and again, this is speculation, so we don't know exactly how the FCC rules haven't really been formally fleshed out to the public yet. Um, but, you know, that's an area where they could decide, you know, maybe uh, YouTube only gets 100 megabits, a tenth of that uh, connection, uh, whereas another service might get more. And, and those are the areas where I think a lot of people are concerned because right now that data is all treated equally for the most part. Um, Blair, uh, there's so many ways in which I'd love to for you to respond to all this, but I mean, isn't this this makes some people nervous? We look at the your North Carolina model, and we think, well, if Time Warner goes in there, I mean, and they build this thing, uh, then they own this thing, and they'll run it the way they want to. Yeah, look, um, I think we have to figure out kind of where is our north star. That is to say, where are we trying to get to? Um, the net neutrality debate has been going on for about a decade. Um, the question of how should government regulate this new thing called broadband. And I would just point out that, you know, with the telephone networks 100 years ago, we decided we're going to give this company called AT&T a monopoly, but we're going to require them to do certain things like universal service. About 40 years ago, cities and towns were giving the cable industry um, a monopoly to provide multi-channel video service, but requiring certain things. Those were both social contracts, and we really haven't figured out yet the social contract for the era of broadband. And the you know the federal government is kind of looking at this, local governments are looking at this, but we really don't have a model yet. To me, if we have bandwidth sufficient so that it does not uh, in any way impede innovation, then we're in pretty good shape. Uh, and I would argue somewhat similar to what you were saying. Look, if you're t- if you're talking about the difference between five megs and ten megs, fast lanes and slow lanes, 
I have a concern about free speech, and I have a concern about how that manipulation can affect uh, both markets and also civic society. But if you're talking about a gig and the difference between, say, 900 and a gig, you know, it's just um, that's a very different thing. I don't I don't think it should trouble us that much. And also, you know, the the people who argue against net neutrality say that if you have rules that prohibit what's called, you know, price discrimination or two-sided networks, you'll impede investment uh, in networks because you don't have enough money flowing in. If we can figure out ways to have the networks be the best in the world, then obviously we have we have found a different way of solving that investment problem. So when you look at the kind of thing that North Carolina is doing, I just I don't think that net neutrality will be as big a problem there, if at all, or in a place like Austin or in Kansas City or some of these other communities that have figured out how to work with providers to get uh, the best networks in the world. All right. I have a follow-up question I'm dying to ask, but I'm also I'm going to be really dying if I don't go to this break. The producers are glaring at me, so we got to go to a break. We'll come back with more. If we want to build up our bandwidth capacity, Comcast is just going to have to get out of the way. Do you hear that, Comcast? Ow! It's one of their darts tipped with neurotoxins. All right, I got to do the announcements before it takes effect. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me. Our intern is Anna Novak. Appearing in the intro today were Alan Yu, executive producer Katie Talarski, and Greg Hill, who tweets for us at WNPR Colin. While the room is really spinning, the part of Bill Curry was played by Courtney Love. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton show staff with their unicorns, visit W. Why is this letter so hard to say? WNPR.org. Look at the unicorns. They're so pretty. Oh, there's a rainbow coming out of Patrick's head. Wait, that's not Patrick. It's Justin Bieber, and we're finally going to be married. Uh. Okay, that didn't, that didn't sound good. Uh, somebody go in there and check and see if she's okay. All right, uh, that didn't sound good at all. All right, so, um, well, boy, we are like really running out of time here, and there's a lot of things I want to cover. Um, and I guess I'm going put, gonna to put, park the net neutrality thing aside for a second, we may have to just sort of come back and explore that in greater depth. There was a kind of follow-up place I wanted to go, but I don't think there's time. And Blair Levin, instead, I'm going to come back to you um, and just, you know, you talked about a North Star, a Pole Star, something you're, you're steering towards, so the thing that you want. And, and maybe we could just sort of um, talk about that, not just structurally, but in terms of, of lives lived and daily practice. I mean, if, uh, if I walk into a classroom five years from now and they have the kind of gigabit service that we're talking about right now, what will I see? What, uh, you know, it, let's say I'm walking into a, a seventh grade classroom. How will it be different from a classroom today? A classroom today is largely the what teachers refer to as the sage on the stage. The teacher is lecturing. The kids are listening. At the end of it, they get a test maybe or something like that. In the classroom of the future, kids will have tablets. They'll be connected by Wi-Fi and very fast-speed uh, broadband. They will be working on various problem sets um, such as w what a company called the Khan Academy uh, provides. And what the teacher is much more like a mentor. The teacher will actually have a tablet. They'll be f following all the kids' work. And when the kid hits a problem, uh, the teacher will know it right away and uh, will give the kid the very specific help that they need uh, to move on 
uh, and at their own speed and their own pace. And it's a very, very different model. It doesn't work for every kind of subject matter, but it's very good for, for lots of different subjects. And, and over time, uh, it allows personalization of education while still retaining kind of the inspiration that a teacher is necessary for, as well as kind of the social aspects of, of a classroom as kids help each other um, uh, work on these problem sets. Now, you know, before you were sort of uh, refusing to be, I think, appropriately gloomy about the U.S.'s place in, in the world. But let's be more, I don't know, let's be a little bit more direct about this. And I know this just from reading your own work. The, the reality is that, you know, other countries, places like Israel, uh, have built this way up and, and northern European countries have built this way up, and, and South Korea has uh, built this, this capacity way, way up here. And the other part of the reality is we have c- school systems right now, correct me if I'm wrong, Blair, where if a lot of people are doing some kind of online thing, some kind of testing or something like that, other people within the school or the school system actually have to get offline just so th- there yeah. won't be a clog? It's actually a very big problem. Um, about 72% of kids go to classrooms with uh, very inadequate bandwidth. The average uh, bandwidth in a classroom is closer to what you have in a uh, in a home, but you're dividing it among uh, 30 different kids. So the classroom of the future can't exist in most schools in the United States. The FCC is going to be taking a look at this sometime later uh, this spring, either in the June or July meeting, um, to try to upgrade a program called the E-Rate, which puts a couple billion dollars a year into um, connecting classrooms, uh, but the program is 18 years old. It really needs to be upgraded, um, and, and hopefully the FCC will help stimulate the kind of transformation that we're talking about. Ellen, I assume this, this educational component is a big part of what you're working on here in Connecticut. Yeah, I mean, uh, just a couple years ago in West Hartford, um, there was a middle school classroom that was using Google Earth, and it took so much bandwidth it crashed the entire system. Um, and so we need to move from that to where, as Blair said, um, we're going to have this model where kids are doing all kinds of testing online, and that takes bandwidth. In fact, in Connecticut, we're piloting the smarter balanced test instead of the the MCAT, um, the C, yeah. CMATs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and all the, all the acronyms start to flow. <laughs> and um, those require every kid to do multiple online tests. Well, just imagine... Um, you know, 500 kids in a school all online, you can't do that with your traditional um, Comcast or AT&T mo- model. So you do need to get this kind of bandwidth into uh, into classrooms, and it's very important. And that's one reason um, municipalities, I think, are focusing on this. That's why I think it is not just a business issue, but also a governmental issue, because obviously public education is one of the cornerstones of, of uh, what we do. All right. I had a final question for Lon, but um, I have plenty of bandwidth and no time left. <laughs> I assume that will get fixed at some point, too. Time will become more fungible than it is now. Uh, Blair Levin is the executive director of Gig.U. Uh, that's a, a consortium of research university communities trying to accelerate the deployment of next-generation broadband networks. Ellen Katz is our state uh, consumer counsel. Lon Seidman is technology writer for ctnewsjunkie.com. Thanks to everybody who worked on this show, especially Betsy Kaplan and all the people who had so much fun in the introduction. We'll be back tomorrow with the nose. I barely know what we're going to talk about, but I have the bandwidth to figure that out.
I'm Kyone Wolf. Chattanooga really did figure everything out. This device writes on anything. You could even do it upside down. That's crazy. That's a pencil. Oh.